Italian Wine Podcast is a proud media partner of Wine to Wine 2020. This November 23rd and 24th is the 7th edition of the business forum Wine to Wine, featuring 70 sessions dedicated to the wine industry. Normally held in Verona, Italy, this is the first ever full digital edition of the forum. On November 21st, Wine Spectator will kick off the proceedings with a free-to-register opera wine presentation, featuring the 100 best Italian wines of the year. Wine to Wine 2020. Tickets available at winetowine.net. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Steve Ray, author of How to Get U.S. Market Ready. And in this podcast, I'm going to share with you some of the lessons I've learned from 30 years in the wine and spirits business, helping brands enter and grow in the U.S. market. I've heard it said that experience is what you get when you don't get what you want. My goal with the book and this podcast is to share my experience and the lessons learned from it with you so you can apply those lessons and be successful in America. So let's get into it. Welcome back. This is Steve Ray with the Italian Wine Podcast, How to Get U.S. Market Ready. And this week, we're going to be talking about what makes Americans so American. The idea of this section came up when we were doing some consulting for a region in Spain, and we did some research in advance and asked the producers what information they most wanted to learn about. And this was the one that came at the top of the list. They want to understand why Americans act the way they do. They want to understand what defines Americans and how to work with them. Here's a little background story of kind of how I began thinking about this chapter. I was in the bar at the Monteleone Hotel in New Orleans during Tales of the Cocktail, talking with Bob DeKuyper, who's the 10th generation head of the Skidam Netherlands-based DeKuyper Spirits Company. Now, as an American, I'm always amazed at the long history and heritage of the old world. And Bob told me his company was started way back in the 1600s. And of course, not to be outdone, I offered up that, well, interestingly, the town that I live in is one of the oldest in the United States. And he asked, oh, how old is that? And I replied, it was founded in 1670. After a pause and a harumph, he responded with this perspective on my statement. My sink is older than that. I think the significance of that story is more in terms of perspective than anything else. And the point I'm trying to get to with this chapter is the more you understand Americans, and certainly there's no one definition of Americans, but the more you understand the motivations and the behavior patterns, I think the better it is that you're going to be able to interact with them in business situations. So let's get into it. What defines Americans? Individualism, self-reliance, and the drive to be successful. We believe that anything is possible if you work hard enough, and that getting things accomplished and getting them done on time is a primary goal. We believe that the future is more important than the present, and we don't like to waste time. We're always in a hurry, and we think time is money. Time is kept, time is filled, time is saved, used, spent, wasted, lost, gained, planned, and sometimes even killed. Competition, we love it. It brings out the best in any individual and system. And as I said, we like to do everything fast. And I'm reminded of a statement from a former boss of mine who said, patience is a waste of time. 
We believe there's a difference between confidence and cockiness. What you've done matters, not what you say you're going to do. Education, incomes, awards, popularity are all highly valued and rewarded. Continuing on on what defines Americans, we value facts over theory, and especially when combined with knowledge, experience, passion, and or commitment in others. We appreciate polite persistence. I'm reminded of a story a buddy of mine said, who's a sales guy, and asked, you know, how do you deal with rejection? And he said, well, I don't really notice it for the first 10 or 15 times. Don't take it personally. We believe that change is good, that new and innovative is prized. Old has a very different meaning to Americans. If it's old, it's probably not good. But then again, historic, that's okay. And I think that thought really carries forward into millennials that the idea of heritage and legacy rooted in some sort of older value has currency to the younger generation and certainly to my generation as well. I hate to say this one, but we're generally ignorant of other countries and languages. Now, that may be true for the rank and file of Americans, but in the wine and spirits business, I would also add that the exact opposite is probably often the case, that the trade values and respects the countries and cultures that produce imported brands. And, and most of the time, that's because they've had a chance to travel to and meet with, in person, in place, the people behind those brands. We realize Americans are perceived by others as pushy, abrupt, inconsiderate, and loud. And you probably have a couple of more words that you can put in there. And while I agree that, you know, that may describe the average American in a small city or town, but as a New Yorker, I'd like to think that we consider these as art forms. That was a joke. So let's move on and talk about work ethic. Just a couple of points here. Success is the highest value in American life. It's the American dream, you know, money, status, possessions, fame, respect. We like to say that rules are meant to be bent, but we never say laws are meant to be broken. When it comes to interpersonal behavior, this is kind of words to live by. Punctuality is expected in America, irrespective of your home culture. We think that 15 minutes early is on time, on time is late, and late is unacceptable. Certainly with COVID-19, the idea of social distancing has become very important. I look forward to the day when COVID-19 has been resolved and those social distancing restrictions are no longer required. But the reality is that Americans like some space between us and the other person. And there's a comedian in the U.S. named Jerry Seinfeld that made a big joke out of what we call the close talker. You don't want to be a close talker. So um, allow for a meter, meter and a half distance between someone when you're talking to them. It's not polite to ask someone's age, income, or weight. And when it comes to politeness, please, thank you, and you're welcome should be part of most conversations. And it's rude not to respond to or at least acknowledge every thank you. Regarding smoking, don't. Don't smoke. If you must ask permission first, go ahead, I suppose, but don't be surprised to hear no. It's really taboo in America these days. And last, in terms of interpersonal behavior, don't be insulted if someone calls you by your given name, especially if they find your surname too hard to pronounce. And basically, if your surname is not Smith or Jones, it's probably too hard for us to pronounce. Let's move on to political correctness. 
I've learned the hard way that you don't want to talk about race, gender, or sexual orientation, or God forbid, politics in this day and age. Americans will say, pardon me or excuse me, if they touch someone by accident or get too close, or if they do not understand what someone has said. Kissing is always a problem, especially uh, internationally. An air kiss is a greeting only if you know someone or if they initiate it. And we tend to be, I tend to be a little bit confused as to how many. I know it's one kiss on one side in South America generally, two in Europe, and three in Russia, but it also can vary in terms of country and social class. Also, which cheek to start with, I always find confusing because sometimes you end up in the middle, which isn't appreciated by most people. Handshaking is a big communications tool in the United States. Make sure to have a firm grip, give it one to two shakes, and if you really want to communicate deep personal connection and sincerity, hold their elbow with your left hand as you shake with the right. But a reminder, do not do this the first time you meet someone. It will be considered disingenuous, not serious. When introducing colleagues, it's helpful to give a little information. Hello, hey, this is John Jones. He designed the sell sheet I just gave you. Or this is Patty Smith. She looks after our business in Scandinavia. Tipping is often a confusing issue in America. We're in the hospitality business, so restaurant and bars, it's wise to tip well. I think certainly in this post-COVID era, 20% is an absolute minimum and doing 25 or 30 and sometimes even 40%, depending on the structure of the restaurant, is certainly appreciated by the help. That's basically the way they make money. Generally speaking, though, doorman will get $1 to $2 for getting you a cab, $1 to $2 a bag for the bellman. Cabs, generally 15%. The 20% really doesn't apply to them unless they're feeling generous. And a reminder to those in Germany, we sit in the back. And don't forget, remember to fasten your seatbelt, especially in New York City. A good rule of thumb to follow is that the person who extended the invitation is expected to pay for the meal. Sometimes it gets confusing and uncomfortable at the end of a meal when everybody's reaching in their pocket or not to say, I'll take care of this. And so the rule of thumb I follow is the person who extended the invitation is expected to pay for the meal. Another one that I use, not everybody follows it, but I think it works. When I'm in your country, you pay. When you're in my country, I pay. And that's for entertainment, meals, drinks, and the like. RSVP has kind of lost its meaning in America, and certainly with the internet and email and social media. But generally speaking, if you get an RSVP, it means somebody needs to know whether you're coming or not so that they can do the planning for food or seating and whatever. So even though a lot of people don't, you will gain respect if when somebody asks for an RSVP, you let them know whether you're coming or not. And also, if your plans change, let them know early. Do not worry about hurting someone's feelings by responding no to an invitation. But I can guarantee you people are going to be offended if you say yes and then you don't show up or attend. So the, the issue here is less a politeness thing than it is a courtesy thing. If you can't come, say so. Times for events are important. Let's say it's a 6 to 8 p.m. event. I would say get there at 6 or 6.15 and leave very close to the ending time stated. It's considered rude to get there early and overstay your welcome. This is Steve Ray saying thanks again for listening on behalf of the Italian Wine Podcast. 
Imagination is only intelligence having fun.